You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. There was a Princeton student like last week who created a app that can detect chat gpt you know i love that to like you know ruin all these high schoolers man what cheat, a narc cheat. yeah i know that's, that's exactly <laughs> what i thought that's exactly As a college what I thought. kid all of his friends I are know. having fun with chat gpt i know um but good for him i'm john favreau welcome to offline hey everyone my guest today is essayist and youtuber evan pushak also known as the nerd writer Evan's known for his in-depth analysis and commentary on a wide range of topics, including film, literature, art, and philosophy. He's gained a large following for his ability to explain complex ideas in an accessible and engaging way. He began his YouTube channel in 2011 and has since amassed over 3 million subscribers. In addition to his YouTube content, Pushak has also worked as a writer, director, and producer on various film and television projects. On today's episode, the two of us will be talking about ChatGPT, the artificial intelligence chatbot from OpenAI that happens to be responsible for writing that intro of Evan I just read. Were you fooled? Personally, I think it could have done a better job, but there have been a lot of takes, endless takes, that ChatGPT may eventually bring about the demise of high school English, Google, and the entire writing profession itself. Who knows? To prepare for this episode, I spent a fair amount of time playing around with ChatGPT. For those of you who haven't yet had a chance, here's how it works. You log on, and ChatGPT welcomes you with a small text box. Type in anything you want, a question, a request, something to edit, and ChatGPT will respond to you conversationally or with a complete, coherent argument. It's pretty impressive, and it does seem like a more useful version of Google. If you ask it for 10 cheap and easy recipes it'll give you a solid answer. If you want a thousand-word essay on To Kill a Mockingbird, you'll get a halfway decent rough draft. But there's still something missing. Even though ChatGPT could write an intro of Evan that included plenty of facts about his background, it couldn't tell you why I invited him on the show or make you excited to listen. That still needs a human hand. Evan recently published a video essay on the real dangers of ChatGPT, which is actually an essay about the real value of writing. Evan argues that if we fully outsource writing to ChatGPT, we'll be living according to the language of others, and we'll lose something essential about being human, namely, our ability to uniquely express and understand ourselves and the world around us. As someone who spent a lot of time writing and a lot of time thinking about the ways the internet is rewiring our brains, this argument really sat with me. So I invited Evan on to unpack it. What followed was a great conversation between two writers who love their craft and are afraid of the future that AI conversation bots may deliver. As always, if you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please email us at offlineatcricket.com and please take a moment to rate, review, and share an episode with a friend. Here's the nerd writer, Evan Pushak. Evan Pushak. 
Evan Pushak, welcome to Offline. Thanks for having me. So I've been wanting to have a conversation about uh, ChatGPT for a while now. For those of you who don't know, ChatGPT is the new artificial intelligence conversation bot from OpenAI that's so good people think it it might replace Google, high school English, even the entire writing profession itself. Evan, you recently made a video essay about this debate. Why did you want to take this issue on? Well, I mean, I, like everyone else, was totally fascinated with ChatGPT when it came out. You know, the crazy thing is it only came out like a month and a half ago, and it feels like it's been with us for so long at this point because so much... It's really dominated social media. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's understandable because, you know, I, like everyone, started playing with it, you know, asking it different kinds of prompts, write an essay on this, give me a sonnet in the style of Shakespeare about corgis or whatever, you know, and it, it, it is amazing what it can churn out. And I think, you know, it's rhetorical flexibility, it's rhetorical muscle, it's ability to produce not just sentences, but paragraphs of coherent text is really, really fascinating. What kind of impact it's going to have is, I think, still unclear, but, you know, People can't really resist, I think, in the first few days after something like this comes out, saying that all writing is dead or the essay is going away or, you know, we love to think that we're reaching the end of an era. That's just sort of, I think, what we're hardwired to, to think. It could be that. It could be as extreme, you know, but it also could be something less, you know, less impactful. It's hard to say now. It's just... It's just really, really interesting, and I sort of wanted to to dive into the implications of that as related to things that I've been thinking about around writing. Can you talk about how ChatGPT works, just for people who might not be familiar, and and what's what's the magic here? Like, why does it seem passably human? What is the what is the bot doing? Well, let me start by saying I'm not an expert in AI or right. um, you know large language models, which is what this is. It's a large language model, and you know, essentially what it does is it scrapes the whole internet, essentially, all of the language on the internet. And there was actually a really interesting paper about this by Murray Shanahan. I just wanted to shout that out called Talking About Large Language Models, where he essentially says that it's based around this technology of next token prediction, which essentially means that it you give it a piece of text and then it looks through all the language that has ever existed and tries to predict with the highest amount of accuracy what would go next in that sentence. He gives the example, he could say twinkle, twinkle, you know, the most likely next two words after twinkle, twinkle are going to be little star, you know? And so it, it is a high probability that that's going to be right. You could say after Frodo defeated Sauron, he returned to, and the most likely answer is going to be the Shire, just because it knows all of the times that that's been used in the history of text. And just the amount of text that it's using gives it its extreme power. That Lord of the Rings example was another one that he used. And into this, it adds, you know, some extra stuff that allows it to be more accurate. Uh, Humans were, were essentially training it on certain answers and you know there's a there's a lot that goes into 
producing an accurate response to that, you know, because it has to understand what the intention of the asker is, um, which is why it still has problems, you know, which is, is why it still often says things that are completely incorrect, if not nonsensical. It's good at being not nonsensical, which is impressive. Yeah. But it's not great at being correct. And then it says the correct thing with just the most confidence that you've ever heard in your life. You know, so you, it's sort of similar to when I, I don't know if you had this experience when I was in school and college, like all my teachers really, really tried to, to, to get us to not use Wikipedia as a source because mm. it, it was not reliable in terms of as, as a primary source for things. That was drilled into us. It's sort of similar to that in that, you know, it's going to be accurate uh, an impressive amount of times, but you would not be wise to use it as a primary source on something that you really want it to be right. You have to check what it's saying. I am feeling old because uh, in college, we didn't have Wikipedia yet wow. to be warned about by <laughs> professors. Wow. But basically, yeah, I know. It's rough. This is oversimplifying it, but it is basically a really, really smart autocomplete that we have like on our phones right now for texting, which I think is yeah. important as we start talking about the possibility of it replacing writing as a profession because i use it a bunch just in preparation for this interview and i hadn't really used it all that much before and it is interesting like using it as a sort of uh, alternative to google does seem sort of useful because you know you can ask it like what's a good place to eat in in los angeles that's new or that i want to see you know like you can do that yeah. and it will it, it, it's it's the search results or what it spits out is much clearer and I think more helpful than sometimes even what you get with Google. When you try to do like, you know, I I, I asked for a couple Obama speeches. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you would. <laughs> I had to. I knew I you had would. To. Yeah. Of I course. And it's, you know, you can tell that it is using language that Obama uses over and over again or has used over and over again. Yeah. But it's not fooling anyone. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think. Well, I mean, you said you had a go. You said in the essay, it's like a, it's basically like a B minus high school student. Yes, and that's where it starts to get more interesting or dangerous, depending on how you look at it. Because yeah, it's not going to be able to re reproduce a, a John Favreau Obama speech with any kind of persuasive power that you might <laughs> be able to give it. But you know what's so interesting about this is that. It came out, I think, November 30th, and I just happened to be visiting my parents' house for Thanksgiving the week before, and my parents were trying to sell their house, and part of that process is that they're making me go through all of my old stuff, of which they have kept all of it. And so I was going through these boxes of essays that I had written in elementary school and junior high and high school, and they are so bad. Like, they are just so... The writing is torturous, you know, and what you get most from it really is how much I really did not want to be writing those essays, which I think is important to this whole discussion. But the chat GPT versions of those prompts are definitely better than what I was writing. <laughs> it's not going to be re able to reproduce sophisticated writing. It, it just can't do that. Maybe in the future it will, but we're not there yet. But the writing of students, 
particularly high school students and younger, it can reproduce and it can reproduce it pretty well. And so that does pose, I think, some kind of issue for teachers and for the education system. You say in the essay that maybe we'll outsource writing to GPT like we outsourced math to calculator, spelling to spell check, memory to the internet. I want to spend most of our time talking about writing, but do you think that we have lost anything by outsourcing math, spelling, and especially memory? I thought that one was particularly interesting to these technologies. It's a good question. I mean, if you're asking me, somebody who is a writer in the arts, no, I have not lost anything from outsourcing math to calculators, <laughs> you know? Same. And that's, a, that's another point I bring up, which is that the questions that I was personally posing to my calculus teachers was, when am I ever going to use this? You know, and they, they came up with some kind of bullshit that it would be valuable to me in future in my life. And the truth is that it, it really isn't. And I think high schoolers are, are very savvy about that. They, they can sort of understand when you're, you're reaching. So for me, those things are, n- are not as important. Now, memory to the internet is an interesting one. I'm sort of resigned about it now. I think that is the general <laughs> feeling in the public. I mean, there are people who, like, you, you can find essays online uh, uh, who, who argue for rote memorization as a method of schooling to come back in a big way. You know, we, we, hmm. we, we still do that, but we don't do it as much as, we, as they used to do in the early parts of the 20th century, in which... You know, that was a huge part of, of education. Now we actually lean more towards essays because, you know, I think in part we realize that our access to information is always with us. You know, it's, it's never not going to be with us moving forward. And so I, I don't know for sure if, if we've lost something from not being able to recall on the spot things, but Maybe we have. I don't know. What do you think? Dude. I the, the the memory one stuck out at me because we're just glossing um, over spell check. By the way, we we don't need spell. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. no. Thank God for spell check. I don't. That was a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, though I yeah, I did spelling bees and all that. So you know, whatever. Oh, um, <laughs> well, you had to when you were like third, fourth grade. Uh, but memory, I've noticed, and again, I can't tell if this is age or technology, but that because I'm so dependent on, oh, I'll just Google it if I need to remember something, that personal memory stories, even from, not even from childhood, even from like a couple weeks ago when I'm trying to like piece together a story to tell friends, I have a harder time. And I wonder if if it's because like, I'm not using the muscle of memory (laughs) as nearly as much as I used to before Google, which was, you know, probably the first 20, 25 years of my life. Well, I mean, this is, I think, all going to wrap into the conversation about writing, Mm. but, you know, it might be the case that, like, in-person dialogue, conversation, dinner party chatter has suffered for the loss of memory. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're alone and you're trying to compose something on your own, you know, then, then it doesn't really matter at what speed you get to the information. But if what we're all operating on is like a surface level of things and in order to say something intelligent about what happened in the world or like you say three weeks ago in your own life you know then then conversation could suffer from that but you know it's our it's it's just too late it's too late (laughs) we're never getting it back 
As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop Chef Quality Pots and Pans at MadeInCookware.com. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. I want to get to the writing part. I mean, yeah. your main argument in the essay is that even though we will probably end up outsourcing many categories of basic writing to AI, we should be careful about how much we outsource because there's something special and important and and fundamentally human about writing. Um, what is it? So this sort of goes back to the me uh, of high school, which is that I really was an uninspired student in high school. Like I said, th- those essays, you, it just steaming off of them was this kid who really would rather have done anything else but sit down and write this essay on Pride and Prejudice. Um, and that's just because, you know, the educational system as a whole, at least for me in the sort of middle class suburban Philadelphia world, you know, I could read the incentives of the education system. And the incentives said to me that what mattered wasn't learning, it was grades. And that learning was just a means to achieve the grades, which was a means to achieve the GPA, which was a means to achieve the degree, the college, the job, and so on. And that was just me reading the world around me. Now, great teachers can puncture through that, but the system as a whole can corrupt you know, the good intentions of individual people. It wasn't until I got to college, and I write about this in my book, which is really sort of the theme of the book, which is that when I got to college as this uninspired kid and had completed these checkpoints, I discovered Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was such a huge figure for me in my development. And what was so mind-blowing about Emerson was that reading him, it was like I was reading my own thoughts. And that that just blew my mind. And Emerson has this quote that I'll never forget, which is that the young man reveres men of genius because to speak truly, they are more himself than he is. You know, and that is just to say that language, and this is what I learned, I really learned from Emerson, language is what makes up the human mind. You know, and the more sophisticated you can be with language, the better you can understand yourself, others in the world. Emerson taught me that, and it launched in me it's a, it's a sort of hunger to get to the bottom of 
myself to answer the questions I talk about in the video, which are, who am I and what are those things that I believe? And so that is what writing is. We talk about thinking, we talk about speaking, we talk about writing, but they're just different words for the same thing. Thinking is mm. writing, speaking is writing, and writing is writing. It's just different levels of sophistication. For the most part, the me, until I started writing for myself, the me was made up of the language in my head, the language of thought, which is just chaos. The language in your mind is pure chaos. And the language of speech is a little better, but please no one transcribe this because the level of sophistication between what I am able to extemporaneously say versus what I'm able to compose in writing, the gulf there is huge. And so yeah. I think what I learned was that just this respect for the ability to compose language and how really important it is for self-knowledge and knowledge of the world. Self-knowledge is, is especially interesting there. It made me think, have you heard that psychologists and therapists often suggest keeping a journal to patients? And the reason they do that is because the act of writing apparently integrates our emotional right brain with our logical left brain so that instead of lying awake and spinning out with our thoughts and emotions, uh, as you just alluded to, like, don't don't transcribe what's going on in my head. <laughs> yeah. We can understand and process them by using the more logical uh, left brain to figure out how to channel and organize those emotions into actual words on a page. And that in itself is sort of an act of self-realization and understanding that sort of helps your own mental health. Had you heard about that? I, I mean, I haven't heard that precisely, but it makes complete sense. It makes complete, yeah. I mean, think about what talk therapy is, you know, what psychotherapy is. You know, you're being asked to artic essentially articulate in language the way you feel about certain things to a particularly sensitive listener who mm. can identify the patterns, the, the sort of the deleterious patterns in your own thinking. I think that's that's at the key of this whole conversation about ChatGPT and writing is that the language in our heads or the language that we, we receive from the world, like it doesn't just form into spontaneous patterns. It takes the patterns of the language that already exists, you know? And so we are all living along the, the grooves of language created by other people. On the most yeah. basic level, we are living in the pattern of the syntax and grammar of language. So, you know, the way language is, sentences are put together, that, that's really the only way we can think, you know? And so that, mm -hmm. that's the most fundamental thing. But then on top of that, you have the conventional wisdom of the culture and the received knowledge that you get, the way that you analyze yourself without even realizing it is along sentence structures and, you know, persuasive structures, forms and genres of writing that you have been exposed to throughout your life. And the only way to disrupt that is to create language of your own, I think. Yeah, well, so it, I love the line in the video um, where you say, not to write is to live according to the language of others. This is this is what you were just talking about. 
Um, but just like just to play devil's advocate on this, I, I happen to agree. But so ChatGPT is is living according to the language of others because it's basically just a composite of the entire internet, right? But isn't what we write and think a composite of all the information we've processed? <laughs> you know, like what's the difference uh, between? There is no difference. It's just a matter of degree. It's just a matter mm-hmm. of you know. That's the thing. It's like the the human mind and culture are the same thing it's just a symbolic reality you know it's a it's a symbolic system and the dominant symbolic system in that reality is language we have all other kinds of symbolic systems you know gestures or, or images or or architecture or whatever ways that we read the world but by far the most dominant one is language and so we can never escape like i say in the video like writing is a form of editing as well we're just receiving words that Shakespeare made, you know, or or mm. we're receiving ways of thinking that that uh, that Virginia Woolf wrote, you know, wh- whomever it is, and that will always be the case. You can never transcend the symbolic reality, but Shakespeare and Virginia Woolf and you have the exact same power to change the reality that we all live in, and a creative, a generative relationship to language is, I think, much more beneficial to people and to the world than a purely received one. And then there's degrees in that too. You know, there's reading tweets and then there's reading Virginia Woolf. You know, there's- there's, A little bit different. Yeah, exactly. So there's writing, um, you know, a letter to your friend and then there's attempting to write an essay about something that means a lot to you. You know, just the process of doing that, just bolting words into a, a structure of your own is, I think, going to be therapeutic on the personal level, on the cultural level, desperately needed. Desperately needed. <laughs> well, it's interesting because like, I wonder what you think are sort of the top hallmarks of really good writing because i do think that gets to what humans and individuals can do that artificial intelligence could probably never do well i mean i, I don't want to say never <laughs> who the hell knows what yeah what? that's right I'm, yeah i'm that's that's my optimistic uh take well there's there, there's 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 the thing of like you know they they there was a princeton student like last week who created a app that can detect chat gpt you know i love that to to like you know ruin all these high schoolers man what a narc yeah i know that's exactly (laughs) what i thought that's exactly a college kid all of his friends are having fun with chat gpt i know um but good for him um and yeah it might be able to catch like this version of it but you know it's going to be an arms race you know, the, yeah. the, the, the AI is going to get better. And eventually, maybe it will be able to write something like as sophisticated as our favorite writers. I don't know. I don't want to say never, but I don't know. For me, the hallmarks of, of great writing are, I don't know. I, I think it's about drilling into parts of experience that mm. have not been articulated, you yeah. know, the, the beauty of Shakespeare is that when he wrote Romeo and Juliet, what he essentially did was define 
a kind of experience, romantic love, that did not really exist in that way prior and which we are all living still. You know, the, the, the shortest definition of love as we know it in 2022, like, like identity affirming and potentially identity destroying love is Romeo and Juliet. That's the most succinct mm. definition of love. He brought that into the culture and that's what genius is. You don't have to be a genius to, 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 to be a great writer, but it would be silly to think that there are no more kinds of experience that have yet to be articulated in those interesting ways. So when I'm reading, I'm always looking for those people who just essentially turn a light on something that we were all sort of orbiting, but couldn't put like, it, that's the, that's why it's so joyful when you find a writer who just, it just like, yeah, clicks for you and they've explained something and all of a sudden your life comes into focus. I mean, that is that is the, the the drug that I'm constantly looking for. So I was I was originally trained as just a, a standard political speechwriter. Yeah. <laughs> and by the time I started working for Obama, I knew how to write a standard democratic political speech. And then when I started working with him, I basically had to unlearn all of that to figure out how to write in his voice because he was intent on like making it personal, making it about himself. The reason the 2004 convention speech did well is because he told a story that no other politician could have told. The reason Dreams yeah. for My Father was a, a great first book is because it didn't sound like a politician was writing it who was going to run for office. So then long after I left him and would like advise people on speeches and they say, oh, what makes a good speech? What makes it is uh, writing it from your point of view, writing a speech that no one else could give but you telling a story that no one else could tell but you that no one else has heard making a point that no one else has made before and you know what people say about good writing often is like you might not remember what you heard but if it's good you'll remember how you felt and so there's certain emotion that good writing generates whether that's you know moving you emotionally whether it's making you laugh chat gpt doesn't do well with humor <laughs> um right and yeah. so like there's emotion that comes from writing that i don't know you can necessarily capture at least if you are just scraping the internet of language and 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 you know generating a really smart autocomplete yeah it's interesting though because how do you write something that only you could write for someone else yeah you that's it's interesting well because the, the key there also was like, if I had to just study him, just read his books, read his transcripts of his interview, basically be a chat GPT yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then churn things out, I don't think it would have been all that successful. And the other big thing I tell people is like, if you are the kind of politician whose speechwriter is like five staffers removed from you and you're just getting drafts and editing and sending it back, then like, that's not really going to work. Like you I, I got to know him yeah, yeah. and collaborate with him. And he did a lot of the writing himself. And I really think that's the only way you can be successful because I could be a really good mimic, but I can't get all the way there because I'm not you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I haven't had your experiences, right? And each one of this back to your point, like each one of us, what makes us potentially powerful writers is that we have had a unique set of experiences and relationships that no one else in the world has had. Yeah, and you know that just just hearing you talk about that too, it I think it's 
it's salient for the conversation about like, where does the high school essay go from here? Because I don't know what could have convinced me to really get into it, you know, Mm. at that age. But what definitely didn't get me into it was the very sort of dry five paragraph argumentative essay that we're all familiar with from school, which is say what you're going to say, prove it in three different ways, and then say what you just said. You know, like, mm. and actually that's the kind of essay that ChatGPT is really good at reproducing. Um, mm. But if I was the 15-year-old me and I was listening to what you just said and you're saying, only you've lived these experiences and, and then, you know, if we lean towards the personal and essentially, it, you know, tell these students that what you can write is you know, unique to you, maybe we will be able to, you know, create a a love of writing at a younger age, which is really the point of all this is trying, you know, it it didn't succeed with me really. But what I say in the video is that it didn't succeed, but the heroic work of teachers, you know, on an insipid teenager like me was just giving me the, the basic competence of structure and grammar and syntax and when it came, when i was moved to write you know when when it finally hit me when i when my life felt very shallow and confused i had those fundamentals to to work with and i have no like answer for the educational system but great teachers and inspiring you know people who can inspire you I think it's really the only way to get through. Yeah, that's why teachers, I don't think, could be replaced by uh, artificial intelligence either. Or at least the kind of teaching we're talking about. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. But a big obstacle on the way here, and this gets to a couple of the essays in your book, is, I think, the internet. (laughs) 
um, the obstacle in the way of creative writing, right? It's an obstacle so, like, one in the way of a lot of things. Yeah, right, of course. Um, one thing I struggled with since I left the White House, especially over the last five years, is that I'm finding it much more difficult to write, which used to be my entire job. And as I've been doing on this show, I've, I've wondered how much the internet has to do with it. In your uh, book of fantastic essays, um, in, in one of them about the internet, you write, when I'm consuming the internet, it feels like the agency dial has been turned to zero. Culture isn't just in my mind, it's steering my thinking. And as I spend more time online, I'm getting better at ascertaining the internet's opinions instead of developing my own. I, I like read that and I was like, man, that is me. <laughs> yeah. I, I um, do you, do you think that's us. why it might be harder to write? I write like right before that in the essay, I try to recreate this hour long period after I saw the cats trailer a couple years ago and how Which I was so funny. <laughs> it's just like this weird, like detective trying to figure out what I should be thinking about this cats trailer and people who are online people, you know, will I think relate to that experience of, you know, trying to figure out what the internet's thoughts for us are. And it it goes to, I think, the same thing we've been talking about, which is that language is at the core of the human mind and culture. And the internet is just an expression uh, of, of culture. Um, and so I had this professor at, at Boston University who essentially taught that to us. And one interesting corollary of that is that because the mind is really just language. It means that there is no spatial quality to the mind. The mind is temporal. It's it's a function of time and it happens in sequence. And if you mm. think about thinking, you know, you, we, we talk, sometimes talk about having two thoughts at the same time, but that's not really how it works. They all come in sequence. And so what that essentially means is that you you just have a calendar of time every day and a number of appointments that can be filled on that calendar. If you're online all the time, you know, what essentially is happening is the internet is filling up all those appointments on your mind's timeline. And because the internet, especially like Twitter and a lot of social media, is language itself, what's essentially happening is that your mind is being swapped out for internet mind. If you give away time, you are giving away your mind. I mean, there's nothing else to the mind, you know? And so <laughs> you, 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 ha, you have to be sort of careful. And, and so... And let me tell you, internet mind, easy to spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, the internet mind is the mind that's trying to figure out what the Cats trailer is all about. That is internet mind or, or, or in, in any number of realms. And so it makes it harder to write purely because you are not spending any generative time with language. You're just, you know, for a lot of it, receiving the worst kind of language, you know, horrible, not, not good for you. You know, you could be spending, I hope spending some time reading good articles and things like that, which, you know, will have a, a good effect for you. But what we all need to do, well, the only thing we can do is to step away from it and allow some language composition of our own, some time for that. And just like forming our own opinions, I think is is huge too. Because the way that echo chambers are, are talked about now, it's uh, from like a sort of partisan political perspective, right? But I think there's something else going on there, which is sort of 
having in your mind your opinions being shaped by sort of the general cultural opinion. So like I've had, embarrassingly, I've had these experiences where I finish a TV show or I finish a movie and I almost want to tweet about how great it is. But before I do that, I will check Twitter to be like, well, I don't want to step into something horrible and say that something I loved and everyone's going to be like, what the fuck? That's horrible. You're You're speaking to me so much right now. I can't even tell you. (laughs) (laughs) But then I've, I've also done, like I've watched speeches, like political speeches. And I did this I tried to do Twitter wasn't as crazy during the Obama years as it is now. But I've done this a few times where I'm like, okay, President Biden's giving a speech or back when President Trump was giving a speech or anyone's giving a speech. And I'm like, you know, what? instead of watching the speech while I am scrolling through Twitter, I want to just because I'm going to talk about this on the pod. I want to just watch it and, and, and react to it what i think <laughs> what speech. is that what, what and then do i can at least come right but that's the problem <laughs> and then i'm like at least i can compare it to what's happening online but i want to have my own opinion first and i think that the reason i've had so much trouble writing is because every time i'm trying to like figure out a take on something it is just a a composite of the various takes that i have seen on the internet and i'm sitting there i'm like well i don't want to write it unless it's something new or something that I have to say that no one else has said yet. Otherwise, what's my point? Yeah, you're just really speaking to my heart right now. I mean, <laughs> I don't envy you because <laughs> you have needs for takes on a much broader variety of things and much more a much bigger number of takes. You know, for me, like I have come to terms with the fact that on a lot of things, I'd say probably the, the vast majority of things, I don't have an opinion. And that's okay, you know, yeah. because yeah. because the question is, what's the quality of the opinion? I have these 10 essays that I wrote in the book. I release a nerd writer video once a month or something. You know, th- that is essentially, the, that is the, that comprises all my That's, that's a prolific number of takes. Yeah, yeah. I was going <laughs> to. Well, I mean, like the, the 10 essays in the book, for say, the 11 essays in the book, like those are original ideas and opinions that I each on each of them spent at least a month trying to think through what I actually think about this because they meant a lot to me. And because I, like you're saying, like you want to say something that people haven't said before that you feel has value that's unique to you. Those are the things that I feel have value for me. And I, and one of the reasons I really don't post like on Twitter or other social media is because I just don't really feel comfortable I don't feel comfortable with... Opining on everything? (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah, essentially. Or or, or just that, like, I don't really know what my opinion is. Um, And we do live in a culture in which you are asked to give opinions on everything. Um, And I... if Well, on Twitter, you can, like, you can watch it in real time. You're like, all the COVID experts just became Ukraine experts. Yeah. There we go. A lot of overlap in that. <laughs> but I totally struggle with you. One like one realm is music. You know, like I, I, mm. I, I have an issue where like, and I don't know how what to do about it, but when I listen to an album, I go on Pitchfork to see what they said about it. And like, I really wish that that didn't affect me. But if the, if the rating is below a seven, that has, that, that is going to be a real difficult, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I try to divorce myself from those things, but, yeah. and I think it partly comes from the fact that like, we are bombarded now with so much more information on such a 
wider variety of things than we ever have before that as a shorthand, we have to rely on the opinions of others for a lot of things. You know, mm-hmm. we have to not only, you know, trust in experts who are smarter than us or have spent time with because we can't possibly do that kind of work ourselves. But, you know, when um, you're at a dinner party and someone's asking about the House of Representatives, this latest bill or that, it's not the worst thing in the world if if you parrot a talking point that you heard. If it, you know, if it actually has some resonance with you, um, yeah. you're not going to be able to get away with a, like, unique, incisive, uh, like, totally unique opinion on everything you come across. Um, and so we're in this weird position and the internet is, is certainly making it more difficult, if not just worse. I interviewed Johan Hari last week who wrote the book Stolen Focus, which is a book about paying attention to things. He writes at length about sort of letting your mind wander, the benefits yeah. of letting your mind wander. Um, you write about this too. You call it free time, time for uh, ideation. How did you come around to realizing that you weren't doing enough of that? And what's your, what's your process now? Wow. Definitely don't have a process. Uh, it is, is a mess over here. Um, <laughs> no, because that that essay, the internet essay too, like it ends on a very pessimistic note with like this backsliding that happens, which I think we're all familiar with of like setting up these, these boundaries for yourself where you're being really good. Mm. And then slowly those things coming back into your life until you're it's worse than it was at the start. I think the way I sort of came to that was like, I am a constant input for things, whether it's the internet or other forms of media. And it was really just one day in the shower, realizing like, this is the only time of the day. Like my mind is wandering. I'm in the shower. There's nothing else. Yeah, I'm not an input for anything. And you come up with some good ideas. You, you like, go places you didn't think you would go. Um, and so I tried to build that time into my life, you know, tried to build some time just to sit down and do nothing. But, you know, what I say in the book is that like, it's not easy. Primarily because the distractions of the internet, the time that you're being an input is like the perfect kind of thing to distract from the self-criticisms of your own mind, you know? And so the very first things that are going to come to you when you build some free time are those things. Um, And then you remember, oh yeah, that's the reason why I was on TikTok for 30 hours because I just- Yes, I am trying to distract (laughs) myself from existential angst. There was a purpose. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let's let's reopen. Um, But if you can- get through that. And it's sort of like quitting sugar or quitting something, you know, the first week is just going to be hell, but eventually you will, you know, you will be able to get to a place where you are more comfortable with that feeling and letting your mind sort of do its thing with language. Like we've been talking about will yield, I think, interesting, creative, therapeutic results. But again, it's a roller coaster. You know, I just a couple yeah. days ago I put the I put the stupid freaking time the things on the apps, you know, the time limits. Yeah, and yeah. I have overrode them every single day. <laughs> I know. know. I do the same thing. <laughs> like, I do this. I get, it's like 
sometimes it pauses me when the when the you've your Twitter time is up and it's like eight a.m. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like okay, I've been up since five, and uh, yeah, that's a problem. But it's really hard, <laughs> and I think the reason it's hard is because it's not. I mean, the reason we don't call these uh, devices addictive lightly here. Yeah, like it's not always up to us. I mean, like when we are exposed to them, when they're around, and when it is sort of permeating the entire society that we're in, it's hard. It's hard to put them down. One thing that helps is is reading books. I mean, that that to me mm. is. And my wife actually turned me on to reading and listening at the same time. So audiobook book at the same time. And that oh. that puts me into like a kind of hyper focus. Uh, it just keeps me on like the train tracks, you know. Um, That's interesting. And goes right back to language. Like being exposed to long form text from a good writer is, you know, is a really therapeutic creative thing to experience uh i talk about i talk about it like it's some like it's something from the distant past or something you know it kind of is that's yeah. how i feel no like i i finished a novel in july on vacation and i was like this vacation was so restful and 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 restorative and i feel great and i read this novel everyone's like yeah who the fuck do you think you get? i read 10 <laughs> novel you know and i'm like but yeah. i read this and it made me feel so good it's like you know that's that's what you're that's what a lot of us are missing uh, try the try the headphones the and the books at the, at the same time. I'm going to try this. I like this. Evan Pushek, thank you so much uh, for joining. Go to Evan's uh, YouTube channel, uh, which has millions of subscribers. It's called Nerdwriter. And your book is uh, Escape Into Meaning. It is a fantastic uh, series of essays, so go check it out. Thanks for joining Offline. Thank you. This was so much fun. Offline is a Crooked Media production. It's written and hosted by me, John Favreau. It's produced by Austin Fisher. Emma Illick-Frank is our associate producer. Andrew Chadwick is our sound editor. Kyle Seglin, Charlotte Landis, and Vasilis Fotopoulos sound engineered the show. Jordan Katz and Kenny Siegel take care of our music. Thanks to Michael Martinez, Ari Schwartz, Amelia Montooth, and Sandy Gerard for production support. A special thanks to Gabby from our team at Crooked, who gave us the idea of having ChatGPT write that intro of Evan. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Narmel Konian, who film and share our episodes as videos every week. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.